Welcome to the Live Treasure Podcast, brought to you by Treasured Ministries, where every week we coach you with steps of faith you can take today to change your tomorrow. And now, on to today's show. Many of you have reached out to us um, and wanted information about narcissism. And so I wanted to reach out to experts in the field uh, to, to bring awareness to um, this people type. And the reason is, is that we should all be aware uh, of narcissists and, and be on our guard uh, because of them. And so today on our podcast, I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Carrie McAvoy is a psychiatrist and writer. She's an expert on cultivating healthy relationships, discerning narcissism, and understanding various other mental health-related issues. Her podcast, Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, offers advice on trauma-related issues. And just recently, she has released a workbook, First Steps to Leaving a narcissist. I will be leaving all of Dr. Carrie McAvoy's links for you. Um, and today, uh, I'm going to be presenting you part one of my interview with Dr. Carrie McAvoy. She was kind enough to sit down with me and uh, and just answer some questions uh, that I had on uh, narcissism. And today, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, are the types of people that a narcissist uh, will target. And you know, oftentimes victims can falsely shoulder the shame if you've been a victim of narcissistic abuse, that might be you. And what you're going to find out inside of today's uh, interview, my part one interview with Dr. Carrie McAvoy, is that it's not what was wrong with you. It was everything that was right about you that made you a target for narcissistic abuse. In my opinion, awareness about the narcissistic nature is something every woman uh, should have. And I really want to encourage you to spread this to your friends uh, because awareness is key. When we are aware of this personality type, it helps us to set boundaries and not become a victim to narcissistic abuse. Take a listen to part one of my interview with Dr. Carrie McAvoy. Carrie Kerr McAvoy, welcome to the Live Treasured podcast and the Treasured Ministries YouTube channel. Um, I am so grateful that you are here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited about it too. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I just started it in April and it's actually coming out of the TikTok live. So about a year and a half ago, I started on TikTok, sort of trying to stumble around as getting ready to publish a book and wanted to build a platform and get a little mm -hmm. more diverse. And I, I found that people love the lives. They love being able to talk about issues. And, and I right. realized that what I was struggling with, <clears throat> that what my book was about was, I thought at first it was about a trauma bond and I knew I'd been in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I 
I kind of fell backwards into this area, this niche of narcissistic abuse, and realized that perfectly captured what had happened to me and that that's what wow. my book was about. And as I started to speak about it, I realized that there's massive community. And now I know that we're, there's estimates of 600 to 100 million people in the United States alone who are coming out an abusive experience, whether children or, or partners that there is this need, this intense need, and, and the lives were so rich that I decided to repurpose them into a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, your journey, and kind of what brought you to this place? Right. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in Michigan. I was the oldest of three girls, grew up in a very conservative evangelical home. I've loved God my entire life. He's been my best friend from as, as a little girl. I even have pictures of me praying out on the doghouse in the morning. I'd sit up on top of the roof and look out at the whole world and talk to God. So I felt very close to him that way. Got married young, got married right out of college. Uh, we had three lovely boys. We had a, a decent marriage. And then in 2014, right after Christmas, and as I was publishing my third devotional, which I've since named the change, or I've changed the name. I used to call it um, um, Pain as a Starting Point was mm -hmm. the name of the title. It's now called Never Forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was wrapping it up and launching it, I, we were found out that my husband was diagnosed with duodenal cancer, which is small mm -hmm. intestinal cancer. It's uh, rare, no known treatment for it. They did surgery, the surgery failed, and he was gone five and a half months later. So here was a strapping 51, 52-year-old man who literally almost like overnight went from healthy to gone. Wow. And with that, my entire life exploded. My whole, I mean, I was an empty nester. I closed my practice because this care was too intense. Um, my life was blown apart and my faith went into this massive dark struggle. So mm -hmm. in that struggle, I then, you know, sort of struggled with God too about what was happening and his goodness and where was he and how could this happen to me? And I started dating really rapidly and I met somebody that I thought was like the most amazing person. It seemed to tick all the boxes. And it wasn't until we got married two months into it that I found that he was living a second secret double life. Wow. That I basically didn't know anything about him at all. And for we stumbled around for two years trying to save the relationship while he was actually um, sabotaging it behind my back. I wasn't aware that, there, that the secret life never stopped. It just got more sophisticated. Mm. So it all, all sort of came crashing to, into bits just as my oldest son was diagnosed with leukemia, believe it or not. Oh, I, was, wow. I know yeah. I had cancer hit wow. a second time which actually was a was a God moving and opening some doors for me, as awful as that sounds. And I started the healing process, started writing it. And in this writing, that's when I began to put the pieces together, which is the ironic part because I'm a clinical psychologist. So mm -hmm. why didn't I know any of this? How come mm -hmm. I'm not aware that I was in an abusive relationship? And how come there wasn't more help for me? How Why do so many people who go to therapy end up feeling blamed for what's going wrong? And it happened yes. to me. I know I fired two therapists. Yes. I fired that, two of them. <laughs> that is so true. I mm -hmm. hear this a lot. Okay. Thank you for saying that. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, that's all right. So here I'm trying to like make sense. I'm writing this book. It's my way of making sense. And then that's when I discovered, yeah, I knew he was a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew that. But I had never heard what narcissistic abuse was or relational harm. 
-hmm. like that. And, and then that just opened up this whole, like, like I literally felt like I was given new eyes. I suddenly could mm -hmm. see things that I had never seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, motives and intentions made more sense. The confusion and the trappedness that I felt in that relationship started to, uh, you know, made sense why I was so paralyzed. And, and right. that's where I am today is that I now feel this is where I am today. I feel such a burning passion about mm -hmm. helping abused people get out of toxic relationships that it feels like a fire inside. I just feel lit mm. up about it because I, I, I feel like we're people stuck in these relationships are prisoners. Yeah. And they have no, sometimes they have no idea that they're in a form of a prison, but I feel right. God's heart is so enraged over this and is so passionate about our wholeness and wellness. Yes, yeah. we'll be made well in heaven, but I believe he wants us well today. I want, I believe he wants to be loving, living well with integrity with each other today. And, and he's very, very concerned about that. So that's, Amen. that's where I've been at is working on this and, and trying to help people by increasing awareness. And I love that, you know, that it's, it's been, you know, a journey for you and that now you're reaching back and, and helping others. Um, and let's, let's talk about the, the victim, um, that what can you give just a profile of who would normally get maybe attached inside of a, a narcissistic, um, relationship, right? Right. Well, there's a lot of myths. I want to start right there. There's okay. myths. So probably most of what you've been hearing is actually not based in research. The most accurate up-to-date information is being done by Sandra L. Brown out of, she's done some work out of Purdue University. She okay. has an Institute for Relational Harm. She's been working with psychopathic narcissistic population for most of her career. She's a social worker. Okay. In fact, I'm, go I'm going to be interviewing her on November 10th. Okay. The evening of November 10th, it's open to anyone who's interested. They can get tickets to that and listen to her describe working with this population as well as working mm -hmm. with victims and working with helping victims become uh, safer, understand mm -hmm. the way that they've been profiled and help to protect themselves better from this group of people. So here, here's the problem I think we all have. We've been given this belief that the world is well-intended. Hmm. Yes, there are well-intended people in the world, but there's mm -hmm. also those who are not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but, but have we trained our children, ourselves, to differentiate between well-intended and bad-intended people? Right. right. I, I know I wasn't, and I grew up in a home with, with predators in it. It wasn't a very safe home. Mm. But yet, despite that, I was still instructed to believe in the goodness of other people. Right. And right. as a result of that, then I misunderstood and misinterpreted their moves and motives towards me. And I didn't see the danger because right. I assumed good things about them instead of assuming that there might be other reasons why they would do what they do. So, right. so back to the victim, uh, victims tend not to know that there is not well, there's like, well, not well-intended people in the world, but, mm -hmm. but the current the current profile of a victim is that there she's a code she usually she's mm -hmm. a codependent mm -hmm. people pleasing mm -hmm. woman who's come out of a dysfunctional home mm -hmm. or she's had some form of trauma mm -hmm. and that she's repeating this cycle by meeting a new person because it's familiar okay that's okay. that's a myth but that's a myth that's a myth okay okay that, 
that's a myth it's perpetuated okay. everywhere i can even tell you cassandra brown i got to hear six hours hours of her in a seminar training talk about her research she found she did some digging and she found that this myth came out of domestic violence observations of the victims they were seeing so it was anecdotal material and it was assumed to be foundational and true about all victims without ever asking Okay, so unpack that a little more. So, Yes. so What? it, go ahead. So in other words, there, when we see, when you see a population, you have to know, is this a representative population or is it a unusual, is it a subgroup of the population? So Okay. people who go into domestic violence shelters would be a subgroup. Okay. I would not say that I could go pull randomly off the street 100 women and they would match up with 100 women going into a domestic violence shelter. They would be two very different groups of people. Okay. Do you Okay. see what I'm saying? They're Yes. a subset of the population. But Okay. what happened is they took that subset, made some assumptions about them, and applied it to all people. Okay. Okay. So And that's, it's not all victims. Like yes. there might be some victims that are codependents and have come out of abusive homes, but Yes. that's not everybody. And I can even tell you the stats. 37% Okay. of the women are that subgroup. Okay. So of Okay. every woman who gets into a, an emotionally abusive situation, 37% looks like that. Okay. Okay. Which is a low um, percentage. I mean, Yeah. I would have thought it would have been, it would have been um, much higher. Um, Right. Me too. It's like one third. So then is there, are there more common characteristics of people who get, okay. So what are Yes. their, So what she found was, okay, she, so how she did this, she took, she took 600 couples, pathological mm -hmm. relationships, gave them uh, the ACE, which is a, it, it measures for childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. gave them the ACE, took a detailed history of their childhood home Mm hmm and, and their trauma history. And then she gave them a personality test called the Big Five Personality Test, which, by the way, you and I could go take. It's, there's Mm open source access to it. So if you're curious, you can do, go do that. hmm Okay. What she found was overwhelming number of people, 63% Mm hmm had no significant trauma, did not come from a childhood traumatic home, Wow. and did not have an A score that was significant. None of them. 63% of them did. What they had in common were two other things. They were high, listed high on that, on that um, big five test on agreeableness and conscientiousness. Okay. The Okay. things that would make you a good job candidate, Mm hmm. a good team player, you work Mm hmm. well with others, you're cooperative, you Mm hmm. believe in cooperation, you're loyal, you're Mm hmm. determined, you're, you, you stick to things, Mm hmm. you, um, all these qualities, you know, you have a personal sense of integrity, you believe in social justice. This is what a person who has those two high traits are, is like. Okay. They tar they're targeting purposefully that group. Okay. Narcissistic, narcissists target people Yes. who are always agreeable. So what, agreeable. And then, um, and then what was the second characteristic? Conscientious. Conscientious. So when, when you're agreeable, does that mean that doesn't mean people pleasing? That No. means you have a high emotional IQ kind of, Yeah, or you, yeah. okay. Mm hmm Okay. And it's hardwired Okay. into you. It's not, it's part of your personality. 
It's not something based. People pleasing is a survival mechanism. People learn to grow up in a, in a home where the emotional context is dangerous or uncomfortable. Okay. You you learn to sort of soften your, the way that you show up in order to take care of the other people's emotions in the room. Right. Right. So it's a skill that you learn. It's a skill that you learn. Okay. But this is hard wiring. This is a, this is a person who's cooperative. I like the word cooperative better. They're a cooperative person. Okay. So it's kind of like an aptitude that they're maybe born with that just that, 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 okay. Okay. And then, um, wow. Well, I mean, you've just blown me out of the water because I wouldn't have said that. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I have, um, been a codependent and, um, and so I always thought, okay, this is why I got into that narcissistic situation, um, in, in my own life. But so then, so then what does that tell us that 60% are this way, only 37% um, come from that people-pleasing uh, um, trauma in the past? What does that tell us? Yeah, well, it makes sense. So when, by the way, the oppositeness of, agree- let's, let's define the opposite because I think it's really important. What's the opposite of agreeableness is antagonism. Mm-hmm. It's high, mm-hmm. high conflict. It's mm-hmm. won't go with the group. Mm-hmm. who's the, always the standout, the rebel. That's the, mm-hmm. and that's the opposite of agreeable. And the opposite of conscientiousness is a person who has no moral code. They mm-hmm. live by what works in the moment and seeks pleasure and they're impulsive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, and, they, and they have no particular loyalty to any code in life. Okay. 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 So I think it's really important we paint the opposite because the group that's targeting the conscientious agreeable group is that group. Okay. They're, okay. And the reason they're targeting it is because they know that the agreeable conscientious people are going to be easier to dupe and mm-hmm. stay in the dark longer. Mm-hmm. And they're going to stay longer and they're going to try really hard to stick, keep the relationship healthy. Yes. Which and then is what they want. Right. Because, and, and they will even use that to, to their advantage by making the victim feel guilty through gaslighting or whatever, because what the victim doesn't want to feel is, you know, I'm a bad person, right? So let me ask you this then, because I feel like that in our culture, women have been taught to be agreeable, right? To like get along, to not do everything. So are more women um, the target of um, narcissistic abuse than, than the other way around? Oh, absolutely. Just partly okay. just because, because antisocial personality disorder, which is psychopaths, sociopaths are mm-hmm. pre- predominantly men as well as narcissists, somewhere between 50 to 70% of all narcissists are male. So you already mm-hmm. have that, those two key groups who tend to be more predatory mm-hmm. are more male, which means there's more likely to be women. But mm-hmm. I think also culturally we're, are, we're, we're raised to be more agreeable. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, pressure on us not to be too mm-hmm. autonomous or to be too mm-hmm. in, think to ourselves too independent. So yes, I do think that. And then here's the other reasons. Predatory people tend to go through a lot of relationships. They tend to destroy mm-hmm. them pretty fast. So mm-hmm. they churn through more of them. So you're going to have, mm-hmm. so if it's a male, he's going to have a lot of female victims as a result of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And does, and let me ask you this, Carrie, um, does the, you know, because I'm thinking about, okay, moral compass, agreeable, you know, um, for me, learning that 
God wanted me to set boundaries and looking at Jesus with fresh eyes, not the one that I was taught in Sunday school, like, oh, Jesus, love is always saying yes, like learning the difference between that and that Jesus was actually pretty abrupt and he, you know, knew who he was and he, he stood for that and never backed down from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what I was taught in Sunday school. I was taught, I feel like I was taught in Sunday school to be agreeable and to get along and, and all of those things. So do you feel like in a sense that perhaps um, the the church has um, some religious rhetoric that keeps women or that makes women um, easier targets to, and I, to uh, narcissists? And I wanna clarify I'm not saying that this is what God wants because I like when you start to read the Bible for you and you start to see Abigail and Deborah and Mary of Bethany who said, Judith, I don't care what you say. I'm going to anoint Jesus with my alabaster. I mean, you start to see everything differently, but that, you know, be kind can translate into be agreeable and that um, wanting to be good and not feeling like there's so many women that come to treasure ministries. They want to do right by God. And so, so would that make you a victim to the abuse as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's what alarms me about the church that I feel like there needs to be an awakening within Amen. our culture, but there needs to be awakening within church. What we do is when it's going wrong and bad, we don't go to the purpose person who's usually the perpetrator of what's going wrong. We go to the compliant person and say, work harder, work yes. harder. It's the wrong message and she's not, or whoever, even if it's a he, they're not accountable for the other person's bad behavior. Yes. They can't save that person. They can't save what the person's failing to give yes. or not give to that relationship. In fact, I heard a really great quote that helped me a lot near the end, and I won't be able to say it properly, but often divorce is a result of a failure that happened a long time ago by the other partner. We're just, we're just manifesting what's actually has, is what's been done long time. You know, it's the consequence of what's happened. And I, that was so helpful for me because I realized the person I married never made a commitment, never made a vow to me ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, he said the words, but he'd spent a night with another woman the night, the night before we married. Okay. He walked wow. in, he walked mm-hmm. in already with a, with a framework of this, there's no integrity to this relationship. And yet here I'm the one trying to preserve the vow of something there was never been in any commitment to. I didn't right. know that at the time, but right. here I'm striving so hard for something that's non-existent. So, but why is this like this? I, to me, I don't really have a good answer except to say that I think Satan is highly sophisticated way more than yes. we've ever like give him credit for and yes. he's woven poison in yes. you know, lies in throughout everywhere everywhere yes. you know when i heard some of the huge ministries going down because of tremendous sexual sin- abuse exactly sexual, oh, broke my heart that it, broke my heart it made me so angry yeah so yeah i i, I feel like what's happened is what is women's role in God's economy? I think that's a big question we need to ask and unpack. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that we we really need to unpack, but but unfortunately, yeah. this framework that we have right now has mm-hmm. keeping women quiet and mm-hmm. keeping them in relationships that are destroying their self-image 
and they yeah. are they are God's you know image bearers and they're being destroyed and I think that enrages God's heart absolutely you know for me it was it was with a friendship for me I felt stupid like that this had happened to me you know how could I be so dumb yeah so you you just feel I guess like I felt shame like how could I have done this or how could I have gotten into this situation do you hear that a lot from women did you experience oh. that Oh, tremendous shame. I had yeah. tremendous shame, but it's tied back to our level of conscientiousness. We're, we're people with yeah. integrity. Nice. So, mm -hmm. and that's why we're chosen because we are people with integrity because that causes an internal conflict. We're going to blame ourselves first and not blame the partner or the friend or mm -hmm. the coworker or the boss, mm -hmm. whoever's causing the conflict. Wow. Mm -hmm. They're using, wow. this is what my son said to me when I, I at the, when it was all over and I was getting ready to publish the book and I was feeling really uncomfortable about the content because it would, you know, it might love you more is a graphic story of what happened to me. It, mm -hmm. It's a just, you know, I'm, I, I do not hide what, what my part in it. I don't hide what happens with inside of it. And I knew it was going to be uncomfortable for my sons to have this out there. So I had this big conversation and I, and, and plus it cost me financially. It, it, it hurt, it hurt me. And I said, I had this big moment. I said, you must be so ashamed. I am so utterly undone by what happened. And I began to weep in front of their, for in front of them. And they're grown men at the time. And the, the oldest mm -hmm. who was like 30, and by the way, he's recovered from cancer. So he's in remission and we praise God for praise that. But God. he looked at me and he said, mom, mom, don't feel bad. What happened to you was he used your best parts against you. This is on him. It was never about you. He used your best parts against you. Wow. Which somebody needs isn't to that, that evil? Yeah. That's the that is the epitome of evil is yeah. to see this naivete, this sweetness, this this belief in, in people and then leverage it for deception and exploitation. Wow. Wow. That's what happened to the garden. Eve was naive. Yes. And the serpent right. took it twisted it and leveraged it right against her mm -hmm. um wow that's that's very powerful and so um so if you're listening today and you feel you know i'm in this abusive situation or i was and i've lost all this time or this or how could this happen um you know release that yes. um and um and just move on and know that it was the goodness in you, um, that, that he, that he was leveraging against you. And I think too, um, Carrie, cause you know, we know that the Bible tells us in revelation 12, that the enemy has a special hatred for women. And so the very, um, good parts about us, um, that he actually uses, uh, to, to, to go against that is, um, incredibly creepy you know what i mean like mm -hmm. really and then i think it plays into um okay i followed all the rules i did i went to church i prayed for i prayed for a husband i you know what i mean i followed all the rules right. and and then this and then this happens right um i want to stop you because there's another yeah. piece that you're missing that is super pivotal okay that yeah locks, please. that locks in that you're gonna let your mind's gonna be blown on this so the people who have these two traits, agreeable, and by the way, Sandra Brown calls them super traits. 
She considers okay. them lovely things. The, you know, mm -hmm. what makes what makes us she says the people who have them are high achieving, high functioning individuals. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. they're they're what makes you a good attorney, what makes you a good doctor, it makes you really whatever you're doing, it makes you really good at it because you see you have a sense of honor to your job and respect and integrity and you mm -hmm. work well with your team and it's it makes you a, a, a person that's highly sought after. Mm. But these two traits are extremely vulnerable to what's called cognitive dissonance. Hey, thanks so much for listening in today. And remember, there's no shame if you have fallen into a narcissistic, uh, abusive relationship. It was not what was wrong about you. It is everything that was right about you. And again, awareness is so key. Every woman needs to be equipped with this awareness. And so for those reasons, I want to encourage you today to text, send this message um, out to your friends so that we can reach more women and equip them with this important information about discerning narcissists so that we can set boundaries and not get under their control. Thanks so much for listening in. And next week, I'll be publishing my part two interview with Dr. Carrie McAvoy. So subscribe so you won't miss it. Have a good day. Bye-bye.